Man, I'm just uh, so blessed just to have this opportunity. What, what's amazing to me is just how God orchestrates things in the church. You know, we had talked about this for a while now, having a youth takeover service, even before we had enough youth to take over the service. <laughs> but God has been faithful. And you know, even the last series we had was called Double Blessing. And it's crazy because there was just this undertone to those messages about something about the next generation coming up. And it's really powerful. But I want to take some time today and uh, just dig into the Word with you a little bit. I'm going to jump around a little bit in the Word, but I'd ask now if you'd uh, take out your Bibles here in this moment. We believe that this is the authoritative Word of God, and it's powerful. It's alive. It's active. And so go ahead and take out your Bibles. We're going to turn to two spots. It's 1 Timothy chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I want you to be able to find those spots there for just a minute. As you're finding those spots, you know, it's funny as we were coming up with, with this service and talking about youth takeover, it sounds ominous, doesn't it? <laughs> sounds like a coup. The, the youth are taking over. We're being overthrown. And it reminded me of a, of a moment when I was in college. I went to the University of Maryland and in my junior year, I, I stayed off campus actually with uh, four of my friends. So it was me and four friends and we did what college kids do. We played video games and we listened to loud music and we... We were hung, hanging out one time in the, in the basement, just playing video games. We had loud music blaring, and it was probably like 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And we're all sitting there just hanging out, and all of a sudden, the lights start flickering on and off. Like, what is going on? My friend John looked at me. He's like, did you see that too? I said, yeah, what was that? All of a sudden, the lights flicker again, and I'm like, what is going on? So I walk over to the stairs, and as I look up the staircase at the top of the stairs is the old lady from next door in her bathrobe. She is flicking our lights on and off and on and off. And she's got this mean scowl on her face. I'm like, it just blew me away. And I looked at John and he goes, what is it? I said, this is the old lady from next door. He said, what's she doing? I said, I don't know. So we, we went upstairs. And we're like, what are, you, what are you doing in our house? Why did you break into our home? And we had a basset hound and we had forgotten that he was outside. And I don't know if you ever heard a basset hound bark. It's like a bear, you know, really high, high pitched. And she's like, your dog has been out here barking all night long. You kids have been in here. I hear your loud music. And she's just going off. And we're like, get out of our house. Like, what was wrong with you? And and it's funny, we got her out onto the front porch, and, and as, as we're finally getting her down the stairs and she's walking away, she turns around and she looks at us and she goes, I can't believe you're going to be running our country one day. And then she walked off. <laughs> and I remember me and John, we looked at each other, we just started busting out laughing. Oh my gosh, that's hysterical. John looked at me, he's like, I can promise you I'm not going to be president <laughs> one day. And I can promise you he's not. <laughs> I know my friend John. But there is a little bit of truth in it. One day they're going to be running our country. One day they are going to be growing up and they're going to have the lead in things. And so the youth are going to take over. They are taking over. You know, I pray for the Lord to return and God would come back, especially before my daughter starts to date, because I don't want to lose my salvation. <laughs> but if he continues to tarry, the next generation is going to take over. You know, it's funny. I feel like we act like the world is going to hell in a handbasket, right? But let me tell you, that's nothing new. The world's been going to hell in a handbasket from the moment that Adam and Eve took the fruit off the tree in the garden. The youth are taking over. You know what's, what amazes me, though, is that at least for, for them, 
Well, you know, they're, they're two, they had two kids right away, and, and those two kids, one killed the other one. I've got two kids, so I'm doing pretty good when it comes to those odds. But, but one thing I think I'm, I'm a little concerned about as I, as I look at the church and I look at the nation, I look at the people, is, is I sense that there's like a separation between generations. You know, we've done something uh, culturally, and we've started to label generations. And this started actually in the 70s with the baby boomers, Right. And so we started to, to talk about all these different generations, and now we're Generation Z, right? Is that what you guys are, Generation Z? You think so? <laughs> I don't know what I am, but they call me something. But now I think my son's in one that they're starting to call Generation Alpha. And so we're putting names to things, and unknowingly what we can do by doing that is begin to separate people and to stereotype people. We can start to look at the church and look at the people and, and start to put people in categories You know, I think this is exactly what happened even in the book of Judges. You know, Joshua, this great leader, he took all the people into this promised land. He was this great general. He busts into the promised land and starts taking over places, and and God is faithful. Even at the end of the book of Joshua, he says, for me and my household, what? We're going to serve the Lord. Powerful moment. If you flip the page and go to the book of Judges, Joshua and his generation die off. Judges 2.10 says, after the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Isn't that sad? We see this great leader that stands up and, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And the next page, the next generation knows nothing about the Lord. I was reminded of that when I was in a, a community uh, meeting that we were doing here in the community, and a, a bunch of us and older than me were, were together, and we were talking, and towards the end of the meeting, the topic came up about this generation, we said, they, they don't know the Bible anymore. They don't understand. They don't act right. They're not getting it. They don't grow up in Sunday school, and, you know, I, I, just the, the tone of the meeting began to get really negative, and I remember just kind of this, I'll be honest with you, righteous anger kind of began to well up inside of me. And I didn't talk for a while, but then I couldn't hold my, my mouth anymore. And I just said, yeah, but that's happening under our watch. Sad to think about that, right? It's happening under our watch. You know, we could point fingers at the world and say it's the world's fault. It was never the world's job to teach our children about the Lord. It's our job to teach the children about the Lord. See, our youth are not the church of tomorrow. They're the church of today. They're not a separate church from the church of Jesus Christ. You know what? They don't get a kid-sized Holy Spirit. They get the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. God is doing something powerful in this next generation, and I'm seeing it happen right before my eyes. And I know I'm a young whippersnapper to many of you guys, but I can promise you that I'm seeing some incredible things happen in these youth students. I want to give you youth students a verse. If you do have a paper and a pen, I always encourage our students to write down notes. I encourage you to do the same because God will speak to you today. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I forget. (laughs) Sometimes I forget what people tell me, and and I want to make sure that I write down what God is saying. And this is the verse. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. It's a common verse. You guys might have heard this before. The older Paul is talking to Timothy, this young leader. He says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Has anybody ever been looked down on because you're young? 
You guys are nervous to say that, like your parents are watching you. <laughs> don't put your hand up, you know. No, but don't let anyone, some translations say, despise you because of your youth. Don't let anyone despise you. And, and it's easy for us to say amen and, and be all excited about that part of the verse. But I want to tell you the next part of the verse. It says, but. Everybody say, but. I made you say, but in church. No, it says, but. And then it says, but set an example. Set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. See, there's a big but. <laughs> there's a big but in that equation. See, if you want the older generation to look at you and respect you and see the authenticity of your lives, you're going to have to live your lives with an example. He's telling Timothy, look, there's going to be people that are going to look down on you, but you're going to set such an example for them that they're going to have nothing to say. You're going to be the example. You see, I see a lot of but so-and-sos in the Bible that set an example. The first one I think of is, is Samuel. You know, and this is, this is talking about character. This is talking about your character. See, I think nowadays there's a lot of people that, that want a platform, right? Whether it's on social media or it's a platform like this. But let me promise you that, that your character, if your character doesn't meet your platform, you're going to fall. And that's what we see happening time and time again. But then we see a young man like Samuel. Samuel's growing up under this high priest named Eli. See, but Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they're doing bad things. And in fact, the Bible calls them scoundrels. God's word calls them scoundrels. I hope God never says that about me. But they're not doing right. They're, they're, they're sons of the high priest, and yet they're taking from the offering, from the Lord's offering. They're sleeping around with people. Everybody knows it. Eli even knows this, and he's watching this happen with his sons. And there's a verse, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 17. It says, The sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. Let's look at that next verse. But Samuel. Everybody say, but Samuel. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. But Samuel. See, I believe there's a, a bunch of big butts in this next generation. <laughs> but Samuel. But Aubrey. But Tori, but Cameron, but Dalton. I believe that, that there's a generation that wants to set an example. And I believe that this generation can do that. See, and then Daniel, the book of Daniel. We see at the very beginning, see what happens is the Babylonian Empire, they take over part of Israel and they begin to take over all the teenage boys that were, that were teenagers, and they begin to indoctrinate them. Does that sound familiar to what we see in culture nowadays? They begin to indoctrinate them with, with certain thoughts and everything like that, and training them up, and they had to eat a certain way, they had to drink certain drinks, they had to read certain books, and we see that in the book of Daniel, but in Daniel 1.8, we see, but Daniel. Everybody say, but Daniel. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. See, he stands up. He's this generation that stands up and says, I'm going to walk in purity before the Lord. I don't care what you're telling me to do and what your doctrine is telling you, but I'm going to walk in purity before God. But Daniel, but Samuel, but Autumn, but Olivia, right? I believe that there is a generation that is rising up that wants to set an example and then we see King David, the great King David. 
But David, when he was younger, he fought who? David fought Goliath in scripture. And he's this massive giant and, and he's walking up to the battlefield and he hears this giant bad-mouthing the Lord, bad-mouthing all of Israel. David, this little, little young boy, he walks up to there and he goes, hey, is anybody going to do something about this guy? He's been talking smack about our God. Everybody's like, no, no, no one would dare go. I mean, he's, he's a big dude. Look at that guy. He's like nine foot six and he, he's really big. And, and so David goes, no, I'll, I'll fight him. If he's going to talk about my God, I'll fight him. So he walks up there, and King Saul, who's the king at this time, he says this statement in 1 Samuel 17, 33. He says, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man. And he has been a warrior from his youth. Here we have the king. He's looking down on the next generation. He's like, you're just a young one. What are you going to do? Sounds a lot like that verse in 1 Timothy, doesn't it? Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example. The next verse, but David. Everybody say, but David. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued it from the sheep's mouth. See, David set this example. He goes on to say, he's like, he's like not only did I, did I rescue the sheep, but I went back after that. That bear started running away. I went after it and I took it down and I killed it. I did the same thing with the lion. This guy over here, he looks an awful lot like a bear. You know what? I killed a bear before. He walked up in faith and speech. It says actually that, that David spoke well. If you look at the previous chapter, David was somebody who spoke well in speech, in purity, in faith. They set an example. And I believe that there's a lot of students here, whether I've met you yet or not, that I believe that deep down in your hearts that God is pulling you to set an example. And the next generation, they're not going to look down on you. They're not going to point you out and be like, I can't believe this generation. The way they act. No, they're going to look at you and they're going to, do you see that example of faith that they are? Do you see that example of conduct they're just walking in purity when everybody else, when the rest of the culture is going in this direction, they're saying, no, 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 I'm not walking that way. I'm not drinking that. I'm not smoking that. That's not what I want. I want to go in this direction because I'm going to follow after the Lord. And you know what? Each one of these people, they found favor with God. They had a, a life that was highly blessed and highly favored because they walked in purity before the Lord. What I find amazing about this, though, in that, in that story in particular, you know, Saul finally does give in, and he says, you know what, I'll let you go out and fight this giant. Okay, fine. If you're going to keep talking, talking your game, right? If you're going to talk the talk, you need to walk the walk, David. Here, let's put on this armor. And he takes his armor off, and he, and he puts it on David. And David's walking around with all this big lug and armor. I can't, I can't walk in this. He's got this big sword. He's like, I can't fight this way. And he takes that off and he goes, he gets a slingshot, gets five smooth stones. He takes that giant out on first, first throw. But what God really spoke to me specifically about this next generation is we cannot be putting armor on the next generation that doesn't fit. Listen, our methods and our preferences, they're going to change. We used to have pews in this church. You know what? They don't need a pew to walk in faith. They don't need a pew to, to have good speech, to walk with conduct in their lives. It doesn't matter if there's a big screen here or if there's an organ over here. 
The methods and the preferences, they're all going to change, but the principles and the promises, they never do. And so we need to keep our eyes focused on what really is important for this next generation. If they're going to take over, I'm not going to put some armor on them that worked for me, but it might not work for them. It might not be the method that God wants to use in and through their lives. And I, you ask my wife, there's many times I come home and I just pray and I say, Lord, please help me not to hold on to things that I think are sacred that really aren't. That God wants to use something in this next generation. You know what? I don't understand social media. You guys know me. I, I try to <laughs> watch it, Alicia. No, I, I try to put out one social media thing and, and they've already got like 10 dinging in front of me. Like, guys, stop it. I, I'm trying to do something here. I don't understand that stuff very much, but you know what? That is a tool that God is going to use the next generation for. I, I like to look at those things. And go, I don't understand. It's ruining kids nowadays, but if they walk in speech, in conduct, in purity, and they set the example, there's going to be a wave, a takeover of this generation that's going to take over the world for the church of Jesus Christ. So I'm a little excited But you know what I find funny, though, about that is that uh, they're watching our example. He, Paul could easily just tell Timothy and say, you know what, Timothy, you better set an example. Timothy could look up at him and go, what example? They're watching us more than you think. <laughs> Sounds freaky. <laughs> but they are. You think you're watching them on social media? They're three steps ahead of you. <laughs> they know what they're doing, and, and, and I don't, but you know what? They're watching me. They're watching the posts that I post. They're watching the way I come down to this altar. They're watching the way that I praise. It's like Olivia watching somebody else and saying, look, I'm watching them. I want that. And there's this example that's being set. And you know what? Paul could say, I am the example. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 11, he does say that. He says, follow my example as I follow Christ. And that's what our lives are to look like, older generation. I won't group you all together, but that's what our lives are supposed to look like, that, that you follow my example, because I'm following Jesus Christ. And they're watching our example. So Paul had every right to speak into Timothy's life. I want you guys to just to move over to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I want you to look at these words on the page. I know we'll have it on the screen, but God showed me this, and I think it's really powerful. I want to read, uh, starting in verse 15. I'll give you a second to get there because I personally, I know it's a preference, but I like the leather-bound edition. I don't have something on my phone. But I want to read this to you. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Follow my example. Imitate me in the Lord. He will remind, oh, for this reason here, it says, for this reason in verse 17, I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. Listen to this. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in the church. Now, I want to dig into this passage just for a second because I, I really think this is a powerful word for the church. When you read that first part, it says you don't have very many guardians 
or you have, a, you have tons of guardians, 10,000 guardians, it says. Some, were, some um, say instructors. Uh, the word there is, is a Greek word that actually talks about a certain type of slave. You see, if you were wealthy enough, you could afford a certain type of slave. I won't even begin to try to say it. Pythagogus? It's a Greek word. But anyway, if you look up that word and what that really means, that guardian was a slave that was paid to walk around with your kid all the time and point out everything he was doing wrong. I see some parents, where can I sign up? <laughs> but that's what they were paid to do. They were paid to walk around and point out, no, 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 Timmy, go this direction. No, no, I saw you pick up that. You know, and, and they're just pointing out what these kids are doing wrong. They'd leave for school and the slave would leave with them and he'd just watch over them and said, don't go that way. No, no, you got to go this way. You don't to go that way. He's saying you have 10,000 guardians. You have everybody in this world that wants to tell you what you're doing wrong, but you don't have very many fathers. Isn't that a picture of what the church it's supposed to look like. Yeah, I actually like uh, the message translation of that. I'll read you that translation. It says, there are a lot of people around who can't wait to tell you what you've done wrong, but there aren't many fathers willing to take the time and effort to help you grow up. That's a... See, I think there's a lot of people, even in the church, that really want to point out what this next generation is doing wrong. But I believe that there's a lot more fathers and mothers that are necessary to set an example. You know what I find amazing about this is Paul didn't just send a letter. Let me, let me just tell you, this book is powerful. Like I said at the beginning, it's alive, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. But he didn't just send the letter. He sent a personification of the letter. He said, not only am I sending you this letter to teach you, but I'm actually sending you a person. I'm actually sending you a person that's going to show you how to walk this out, to be the example, and to walk this out in your lives as well. You know what? If, if I get really sick, let's say, and uh, I am get sick, I get cancer, let's say, and I'm, I'm really bad, and I, I ask somebody for help, and they go, there you go, throw me a medical book, Right? Like, what's that going to do? <laughs> Start to open it up. And, and I could read that medical book. I could be like, okay, I probably need this chemo treatment. All right, I probably need this. No, I need a doctor. I need a personification of the book. I need somebody who has studied this book, who is living this book out, who understands this book, who's going to come alongside me and be the example. If I go to court, let's say, I go to court and I'm in a big court case and and I'm looking for some help and goes, well, there's the laws. Good luck. Right? I'll open that book up. I'll go like, this is Greek to me. I don't understand this. What is this even saying? No, I need the personification of the book. I need the lawyer <laughs> to show up and, be, and, and fight on my behalf and say, no, this is how this works. So you see, we need the personification of the book in the church. We need the examples of the people who have walked this walk, who have taught this, but not only taught it like throw you a letter. A quote of the day is good. Verse of the day is good. Like I said, the word is powerful. But you can't think just because you, you shot out a verse of the day on your social media page that you've done your duty. You see, you, you become the example. You walk out the calling that God has on your life. They're watching us. They're watching us. You know, just recently... 
I started mentoring. I started mentoring some youth over in the uh, elementary school over here. I have to be honest, that is out of my wheelhouse. <laughs> and, uh, but I really felt that it was important for me. Now, listen, this is why I did this. Because I feel like it's important for me that I can get really comfortable in my box. I can get really comfortable here in the church. I'm a pastor. I work right here. I work next to the altar, right? That, that's my job. That's what I do all the time. But I realize, like, if, if I'm not careful, I can get really comfortable in the place that I'm at. And I can miss the bigger picture that's out there. And I've heard a lot of things about schools and how, you know, God's being pushed out of schools. You know what? I'm going to take God into the schools and I'm going to show them an example. You see, when I go in for mentoring, I, I don't go in there like, you did this wrong, you did that wrong, right? They didn't pay me to be that guardian that's walking around like, Autumn, I saw what you did today, you know. Or, Brittany, yeah, my wife, yeah, I saw what she did. <laughs> no. No, that's not how it works. No, I go into the schools and I show them an example of what a godly person. You know, I was in there the other day and the one kid cussed at me. <laughs> yeah, I made him mad. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't make him mad. No, but I didn't go like, oh, watch your mouth. There's a pastor in the building. What are you doing? No. Like, no that's, that's not the example I'm showing him. See, but that, that's not what they need. They don't need somebody else. They got plenty of teachers. They got plenty of principals, assistant principals, or, or Val Snyder, right? They got plenty of people that are in there that can tell them the things that they're doing wrong. They know that already. They need examples. See, I understand that my, my, my character and my lifestyle off of this platform speaks a lot louder than what I'm doing right now on this microphone. I think a lot of us are waiting for that moment on the platform to say what we want to say, and yet we're not living the lifestyle and the character that God has called us to. You can wait for that platform all day long, but if your character doesn't match it, it's in vain. One thing I would, I've heard people say to me, is like, yeah, but you're young, Chris. <laughs> you can do this. Like, you can throw the football with him. And yeah, I can throw the football with him but they don't care if I can throw the football with them. They just need somebody to show them that they care. They need somebody to walk in there and just say, like, I, I know what happened this week, but I care about you. In fact, the one kid, I wasn't going to come the one week. I wasn't going to come. I was tired. I had a long week. I was doing a lot. Friday's my day off. I didn't really want to go into the school that day. And so I texted Val, and I just said, you know what? I, I'm just not feeling it today. Today's not really a good day for me to go. And she texts back, okay. And she said, just to update you, this is what happened with this one student this week. I looked at that and I just thought, I got, I got to go in there. And so I decided that day I wasn't going to throw the football with him. Just have lunch with him. So I went in and I sat down with him and we were just having a conversation. And I said, hey, I just want you to know that I wasn't going to come in here today. I'm tired, man. <laughs> I've had a long week. Said, I heard what happened this week, though. He got a little sheepish, right? And I said, man, I wanted to come in here because I want you to know that I care about you. Even though I'm tired, I think there's a lot of potential in your life. I think God has given you many, many amazing abilities and talents. And my concern is that you're going to throw that away. And so I decided to come in here today 
for you. That spoke to that boy. He opened up that day more than any other time. And once somebody that cares about them, I thank God for our release time program. Actually, Lori, would you stand up for just a minute? I'm sorry, I see you in the back corner. Can we give Lori a hand? Yeah, thank you, Lori. Lori Lehman runs the release time program that we have here. The students from the elementary school, they all come over here and they begin to learn the Bible. And there's a lot of people, a lot of leaders that come with Lori and they become examples. They need more fathers. They need more mothers. They don't need more people pointing a finger and saying what's wrong with the next generation. You know what? That was wrong with the previous generation too. They had their own issues. I had a lot of issues, okay? I was not saved in college, okay? I won't go there. You see, but I realized that I need to be the butt Chris in my generation. We need some butt Daniels, but Samuels. And, and I just decided, you know what? I can't get comfortable in my church bubble. I have to reach out. I have to touch some lives. I have to be there for these kids. When, when they realize that you care about them, they're going to listen to you. You might not always know it. Dalton over there, <laughs> one time I was preaching, and later on we were talking, and, and he, goes, he goes, yeah, Pastor Chris, remember when you said this? And I must have given him a face because he goes, well, you thought I didn't listen, did you? I said, no way, man. I said, I cannot believe you heard that. You were listening to me? They're listening. <laughs> They're watching. Sorry, Dalton, to call you out, man. You see, we weren't made to be advertisements for Jesus. We were meant to be evidence. God wants us to be the evidence of his kingdom. We're meant to be witnesses for his kingdom. And we think that if we put up a billboard or we, we post a post, that that's going to change this generation. No, they need fathers. They need mothers. They need examples. I um, don't know. I'll have you bring up my illustration, if you don't mind, now that I called you out. I want to tell you guys about training them up. You see, Proverbs 22.6, we'll put this up on the screen. Proverbs 22.6, I'm going to read out, I like the King James translation of this. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way they should go. Thank you. Many of you guys don't know this about me, but I... Uh, <laughs> My wife's already laughing at me. You can too. I'll give you the open door. I really used to be into bonsai trees before my kids were born. I had taken classes and gotten really involved in, in uh, styling these trees. I learned how to repot them and, and to clip the roots back and to tie them up. And it, it's kind of funny. I had some irrational fears about them, about it, honey. We lived on a second floor in an apartment and I kept mine out on the porch. The one was supposed to be an outdoor plant. And I got nervous before I'd leave each day. I'd cover it up. My wife was like, what is wrong with you? Why are you covering up this tree? I said, I don't know. Somebody might mess with it. She's like, Chris, we live on the second floor. Who's going to climb up here? I said, I don't know. Somebody could throw a rock or something. Who's throwing a rock at your tree, right? But it came back to bite her because when we bought our house, I had put the tree outside on our back porch. And then one morning I wake up and I open up 
And there's this big fat squirrel sitting on my tree. No joke, he's like this big. And I'm like looking at him, I'm like, what is wrong with you? I'm banging on the window, get off my tree, you know? I'm like yelling at him. And then I wake up the next morning and there's a bunch of nuts that are buried. I'm like, we got this whole yard. Plant your nuts somewhere else, right? <laughs> but but if, if I think about that verse though, train up a child in the way they should go. I think it's a beautiful illustration of, of a kid that is growing. You know, I can't, I can't manufacture which way this thing is going to grow. You realize that? Only the Lord knows which direction. Only the Lord knows that there was an injury here, and so it's going to sprout off this way. Only the Lord knows which one of these is going to bud next. I don't know that. I don't know that. But, but it doesn't say that we're supposed to know. It says we're supposed to train them up in the way they should go. I want to show you a picture here. Um, what you're supposed to do with your bonsai tree is you're supposed to wire certain branches that are going astray. Even this one that I picked up yesterday, uh, this one should actually start to kind of work its way out this way. You don't want it to shoot straight up in the air like that. You actually want to give it some, some motion. And so what I would need to do is I would need to start to wire that and begin to guide it. See, if I guide it too tight, if I, if I wrap the wire too tight, what it does is it stifles out the growth. If I keep the wire on too long, what it does is it begins to eat into the bark and damage the tree. There's an art form to it. It's not easy. I'm a parent. It's not easy. <laughs> My son the other day, he, we were in the car, and he says to me, he says to me, Dad, I said, yeah. He said, where's your mom? said, so, well, because he knew that Pop-Pop was his, was his grandpa, but I said, my mom died, buddy. My mom's not here anymore. And I told, her that, told him that she was uh, in the hospital. And so then I began to explain. I thought, like, here's my moment. I'm going to wire, right? I'm going to start to wire and to shape, and this is my open door to kind of give some direction here. And so I said, well, Gray, my, my mom is with Jesus now in heaven. And he said, well, where, where's heaven? <laughs> That's hard to explain, buddy. So it's kind of like God, like we can't see him right now, but we know that he's here. Like heaven is a, is a very real place, but it's something that we can't see with our natural eye. And I'm talking to him and he goes, so when did your mom get sucked up to heaven? Well, I couldn't help. I having this serious conversation. I literally, we're like sucked up there, like you know, like yep, that's exactly how. But I was laying there next to her, and all of a sudden, she was gone. You know, how'd she get sucked up to heaven? But, but we have to take those moments to wire our tree, right? You can't force something. Every tree is different. Listen, this is a ficus tree. If there's a Chinese elm or something like that. I would need to work it differently. L listen, different trees require different types of wire. Different trees uh, take different times when you have to prune them. It's an art form. It really is. But when I look at a picture like that of the wiring, I just imagine the people, the fathers and the mothers that will come alongside these youth. Parents, let me tell you, your kids are your responsibility. They're not the governance responsibility. They're not the school's responsibility. They're your responsibility biblically. But the Bible also says that we're all supposed to help in this process, that we're supposed to have examples, 
And I can just imagine me being an example that can help to be the wire to begin to guide these students' lives. I'm not the end all. I'm not the be all. I'm the one, not the one you can drop your child off and be like, fix him. <laughs> I can't do that. But what I can do is I can begin to guide them with a little bit of wire. You see, a lot of people say, well, I'm not gifted for that. I'm not talented for that. You see, I don't see anywhere in scripture that you have to be gifted or talented to sow into the next generation. We need more fathers. We need more mothers. There's a, I just want to be honest with you. I know that sometimes when you, when you hear a message like this, you get really excited and I've probably pulled on some heartstrings in your heart today and the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding you. But what happens when we walk out these doors is we go, man, that was a great Sunday, wasn't it? And we walk off and off into the sunset. I used to do, a, actually, Ryan, I'm so glad you're here, man. I used to do a men's workout thing with Mike Brown, who's now leading the, the Honduras Transformation Project. We used to do this workout where we'd be doing this cra- crazy lifting, right, with like cinder blocks and, and telephone poles and teamwork and stuff like that. And now it feels like I ate a cinder block. <laughs> but, but we used to do this, and, and it would break us down. But then at the very end of it, we would, we would do this devotion, and man, spiritually, we would just get built up. And I remember the one night specifically that we were, we were talking about being missional, about walking out, stepping out of our comfort zone. And when I left there that night, I had called my wife, and she's like, this is when we just had our daughter Eden. She was in diapers, and she's like, we're all out of diapers. you got to stop by BJ's. I'm like, it's 840. They close at 9. I'm not going to get there. She's like, we need diapers. I'm like, okay, you know, jump in the car and fly into BJ's. And man, they were annoyed that I was there. I, I, I barely got in like 8.58. You could tell they were ready to close the doors. I'm running back and I grab these diapers and run to the front and I, I sit them down and I go to pay for them with my card and all of a sudden the cash back screen comes up. There was something in me that just kind of gave me a tug that was just like, get, get $40 cash back. I, I never carry cash. I never press those buttons. Never ever do that. I pressed that button to get cash back. Of course, they didn't have any in that drawer, so they were even more annoyed with me. They had to go over to the other drawer and get more. And, and so, so they gave me my cash, and the second I stepped out, they, or they closed it behind me, right? But it was only my car in the parking lot, and then there was another car that was off in the shadows. It was dark, pitch dark out with a guy in a hoodie. And I see him walk out from that car, an African-American male with a hoodie, shifty, kind of walking out. The reason why I say it that way is because I've been held up at gunpoint, me and my wife. Been through some crazy situations in our lifetime. And so right away, I'm on defense, right? Like, what's going on here? Do I have anything on me sharp? You know, is there anything that I can do in this moment? And he walks up to me, he says, hey, man, what's going on? I said, not much, just getting diapers. (laughs) He says, hey, man, do you have any money? He's like, my car broke down because I ran out of gas. I really got to get somewhere. No, nah, man, I don't, I don't have any money. Sorry. You know, just like, I got to get these diapers home. <laughs> and I put these diapers in my car, and I see him go off the corner of my eye, and he's all frustrated, and I hear him call somebody. He says, yeah, man, I'm not going to make it because I, I, I ran out of gas. And he's like, I hear him over there having this conversation. And then the Holy Spirit tugged at my heart. said, Chris, what were you just talking about? You just left an awesome workout and devotion. What were you talking about? So I took 
a wad of that money in my hand, and I walked over to him, and now he was on the defensive. He's like watching me as I'm coming close. And I watch over, I walk over, and I say, hey, man, what's your name? He said, I'm Andre. I said, hey, Andre, I'm Chris. He said, I want to give you something. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, awesome. Thank you so much. I said, but on one condition. He said, what? I said, can I pray for you? And he says to me, yeah, 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 man, go ahead, go ahead, pray for me. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. And so I just laid a hand on his shoulder. Big, big dude. I just laid a hand on his shoulder. And I began to just pray, being led by the Holy Spirit. Just said, God, would you touch Andre wherever he needs touch in his life? I began to pray things that I have no idea. I talked about kids that he has in my prayer. I don't know if he has kids. It's just I felt led by the Spirit to pray for him. And I finished that prayer. And he looks up with a tear coming down his eye. And he said, thanks, man. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I said, you're welcome. You know, it's that, that lift that you get when you've done something that God's called you to do. And I walk away and he gets in his car. And he turns on his car and he drives off. I thought to myself, wait a minute. He told me he didn't have gas. He told me that that he didn't have gas, that he was broken down. I jumped in my car and I started following him. I was like, Where? he's going to buy drugs. I'm going to take that money from him if he's going to buy drugs. And I, I watched him pass the first gas station and then the Holy Spirit took hold of my heart. And I was reminded of this verse. Paul saying this, he said, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. But God I was just meant to plant the seed. But, but if we're not careful with a verse like that, we'll wait on God to do everything and not do our part. We need more Apollos. We need more Peters. We need more Pauls. We need more fathers. We need more mothers that are going to help us to shape and mold this next generation for them to follow after the light of Jesus Christ. See, I don't know what this is pulling your heartstrings to do, whether your gifting is in generosity and you want to give towards youth. That's great. That's awesome. But I think there's more to it. I think we need to be some examples to stand for this generation. They're going to take over. But what are they taking over? It better be the church of Jesus Christ. Would you all stand with me here today? I want to pray for you this morning. Actually, I'm going to ask the, those of you that have served uh, today as youth, could you guys just come in and just line the front of the altar here and face that direction? I'm going to put one more picture up here on the screen. And uh, this is a picture from winter retreat this, just this winter. The students had come up to me and they asked if they could pray for me. And I said, sure, absolutely. And I knelt down and they prayed some beautiful prayers. Did they fumble over their words? Absolutely. Do I fumble over my words? Sure. You guys know me. I always fumble over my words. But I believe that there is a Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in this generation that wants to promote healing in your life. There are some examples here that God is shaping and molding and growing 
We need to encourage them. So if you have a prayer that's on your heart, maybe it's not specific to this, but if you have a prayer that's on your heart this morning, I challenge you, step out from where you're at and come forward and receive prayer from these students. And while I pray, I just wanna pray, uh, and actually the prayer team, if you guys wanna come down just to be there with them and be able to, to help them as well, this is a perfect example. You guide them. You're the example for them. You help them. You lead them. The reason why they're praying for me like that is because I pray for them like that. I care about this generation. I want to pray a closing prayer here today. Father God, I thank you so much. Lord, that you are a good father. There are people here today that, that didn't have an example in their life that we're struggling even with the pictures that I was illustrating, but I know that you can reach a deeper place by the power of your Holy Spirit. So today, would you prick our hearts in the places that we need to move out and step out of our comfort zone and to step in, in this next generation? God, they are going to take over. There is growing that is happening, but we can help shape and guide the growth. God, I truly believe that there are mothers and fathers that are out in this congregation right now that have not yet stepped out of their comfort zone to walk. Maybe it's mentoring, Lord, in the schools. Maybe it's helping out in release time. Maybe it's serving here in the church in one of our kids' programs. But Lord, there is so much that needs to be done. The workers are few, but the harvest is plenty. So God, we thank you, Lord, for the harvest to come because you are growing. Your church is moving forward. God, you are doing amazing things. God, we want to partner with your Holy Spirit in this moment to do what you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Can we give a hand clap to the Lord here? I would thank you.